Thank you, Julia, for those prayers and good morning. Merry Christmas, church. It is great to be together. We have one service today, so some of you might be greeting each other for the first time if you're 9.30 people and 11.30 people, or you're just visiting Hong Kong. So do take time to say hi to people afterwards. There'll be a lunch following the service off-site. We'll share more about that later, but a great time to get to know one another. When I was a child, I could hardly sleep on Christmas Eve, and I didn't wear a watch, and I didn't have an alarm clock in my room, and so I would wake up like every two minutes and look for just the crack of dawn to begin, and it took forever because Christmas, right? And I would wake up, and I would always be the first one to wake up, and we couldn't open presents until everybody was awake, and so I tried to wake everybody up in the least subtle way possible, closing doors a little louder, making a little more noise than I normally would, and eventually everybody would stir and we could begin together. Now, I'm a parent now, and I, I'm not looking to wake up early, but I always wake up early. So even this morning, I was the first one up in the house and uh, made myself some coffee and uh, just enjoyed the quiet of the day. But it's a a day that maybe for you, you have a long tradition of Christmas. Maybe you're here and you're just discovering who Jesus is, and maybe this is your first real Christmas where you're in a church setting. Wherever you might be today, we welcome you in to this worship. We welcome you into this community and to this family. Now, I want to look at a couple of things today as we talk about Jesus and who he is. I love this quote from Henry Now, and he said, The Lord is coming, always coming. When you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you will recognize him at any moment of your life. Life is Advent. Life is recognizing the coming of the Lord. We've been in this season of preparing, this season of Advent. Last night, we switched from purple on the cross to white. Purple is kind of a preparation color. And white is, we are here, we are in this moment And so I just want us all to pause and reflect on this idea that Christ is, in fact, here. He's always coming, and he is always here, and we can recognize him. So we'll pause, we'll have a little moment of silence, and see if you can recognize where Christ might be in your life, in this season, in this month, in your home, in your family. What are some ways he might be showing up to you? Let's pause. Jesus, I thank you that you are always present. Even if we might be too hurried or too busy or too distracted to notice, I thank you that you are in fact here. Whether it's through encountering you in nature, a blue sky, the sea, a wonderful trail, encountering you here in this place through singing, through prayer, through fellowship, You show up in so many ways, God, and may we not forget that you are, in fact, here. We thank you, Jesus, for being here in your name. Amen. I want to talk about this phrase. When you read that phrase, what first pops into your mind and how to read it? 
You don't have to say it out loud. <laughs> but that's what we're going to unpack. And, and how do we see one and not the other? And depending on where we're at in life. A pastor friend of mine posted this on his Facebook um, feed. And this was a Venn diagram of what's usually included in children's church musical plays. And so you have on the left here, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three gospels that have a very similar story. And what intersects in all of those gospels is angels, Bethlehem, Jesus's birth, and that it's Jesus himself. And you have all these other things about the shepherds and donkeys and wise men and, and all of this. And then over on the right, you have the Gospel of John, things that are rarely included in a children's musical. And it says complex stuff about the word and light and things. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Some of that complex stuff that we don't often hear about as much in this season, but just as powerful. So John writes to us, John 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. This word logos here in Greek that John uses, he's, he's making a statement. And if you've been in a church setting for a while, if you've read parts of the Bible, if you're familiar with the very beginning of the story, you'll know that this sounds a lawful like the very first book, the very first verse, in fact, in the Bible in Genesis 1.1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John is making a point here. He knows his readers have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They know the basic gist of the story. They know the, the timeline of Jesus' life. And so he's wanting to write and reflect on the big theological picture of what is happening. N.T. Wright says it this way. This book is about the creator God acting in a new way within his much-loved creation. It's about the way in which the long story, which began in Genesis, reached the climax the Creator had always intended that Jesus himself would show up on the scene. See, the Old Testament gets at this idea of word that John is pulling out. God's word is what he says happens in the creation account. God spoke things into being. He created so his word is connected to creation. In the Psalms, it says, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord. In Isaiah, it says, the, pe the people and the plants will wither and die. But one thing will last. God's word will last. Later in Isaiah, it says, God's word will go out of his mouth and bring life and healing and hope to Israel. So this is what's behind John's choice of using this word and connecting it to Jesus himself. And that's the theme of this gospel of John. If you want to know who the true God is, get to know Jesus. He's the best representation of God. Now, you don't have to be born into a particular family like Israel. You don't have to be from a particular tribe to know this God God's message is that everybody is invited, and we talked a little bit about that last night, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're an insider, whether you're an outsider, everybody is included into this one family. And being in a sort of an international church is really kind of a great display of the fact that we're all from 
places all over the world, whether you're from Hong Kong or from the other side of the globe, we make up a family together. It was wonderful to hear all the different languages, from Portuguese to Arabic to Malaysian to Chinese. We get to be a family together, people that have different stories and different backgrounds, and we come together because of Jesus and who he is, and that he is here with us. He is the word, and he is God. This month is when Eric and I celebrated 15 years of coming to Hong Kong back in 2007 to community church and to this city, and this is our home, and we're so glad that we can be here worshiping God together in a place we never thought we would be living, but here we are, and so we can be this as a family. John goes on to say in John 1.14, he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word became flesh to show us who God is. John tells his original audience that there's this glory to who Jesus is, and this glory is growing. It's the only one and only Son who came from the Father, beautifully holding grace and truth together, this word. Now, we don't get a physical description, really, of Jesus in Scripture, but Isaiah does talk about what the appearance of the Messiah will be, and it's this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing is in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus wasn't coming as a beautiful-looking person but he comes to do a beautiful thing for us. A beautiful life created, incarnated, in flesh, to live life before us. So he grows in beauty. He grows through his self-giving love, through his sacrifice of becoming man. So, John 1.14, that he came and he made his dwelling among us. What does this mean? The word became flesh, right? He dwelt among us, or as um, Eugene Peterson says, he moved into the neighborhood. The word being used to or dwell among us is a tabernacle. And if we look back into the Old Testament, we figure out what a tabernacle is. It's this portable sanctuary that the people of Israel would have with them that that was God's presence with them. So for 40 years, they carry this tabernacle around, God's presence with them around, and God is with them through this space. They make this tent, right? And they put his presence in there, and it represents God and God being with them, the earthly dwelling place of a living God, symbolizing his presence with the people. But with Jesus on the scene, he takes up tabernacle with us. He is the tabernacle with us. He is God incarnate, walking with us, living with us in a new way for the first time to dwell in a body. A pastor and author, Sam Albury, points out that Jesus did not just take on a body, but he became a body, which is surely the highest compliment the human body has ever been paid. God not only thought up our bodies and enjoyed creating several billion of them, 
But he also made one for himself when he became incarnate. Jesus came to give us the best picture of who God is. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He came as the fulfillment of a promise 700 years earlier in Isaiah. This promised Messiah to be the Savior of the world. Matthew says it this way, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does it mean that God is with us? That he dwells with us. He is present to us and with us. It also means that he took upon himself limitations. The limitations of the human body. The limitations of becoming incarnate to be present means he couldn't be everywhere doing everything. He was physically limited. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, 7. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Jesus is beautifully humbly, humble, giving up rights for our behalf, not demanding what was his own, but humbly giving of himself for us. Now imagine for a minute if you had the choice to become a baby. You ever thought about that? Now, Jesus wasn't an adult brain in a baby's body. He was a baby. If you had the choice to become a baby, would you do that? I was thinking about this. It's not something I think about very often. But I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, I don't know, right? That's, it's not very easy to be a baby, knowing what you know now, right? You're dependent on others. You, you have a diaper, you know, you, you cry, you get changed. Jesus is allowing himself to go through this very vulnerable thing of being born as a baby, to be dependent, to be loved, to be cared for, to be hurt, to be betrayed, to be wounded because of his incredible love for us. Luke says it this way. The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God. This is after the angels appeared to them for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. See, God is a promise-giving God and a promise-keeping God. He promised to send the Messiah to become incarnate, and he delivered on that promise. And the shepherds are bearing witness to that promise. There's 47 prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. I'm not going to list them here. If you want that list, uh, talk to me, message me, and I'll send you the link um, to those 47 different prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus and him coming. So that night of Jesus' birth, the angels are there, the shepherds are there. They discover this Jesus that is now in the world. And I think God has put a spiritual longing in all of our hearts. I think we desire something spiritual. We can't long for something we have not experienced. 
You can't long for a specific person if you've never met them. You might have a longing for relationship in general, but not for a specific person. Some of you know the story of Erica and I in the beginning of our dating. We were teenagers, actually, um, younger than both of our kids <laughs> who are here in the front row right now, which is kind of scary to think about. But we went to the same church in the same high school, and our church youth group had a like a camping trip every summertime on the beach in Santa Barbara. It was really kind of a glorious uh, location, very romantic. And um, I wasn't pursuing Erica at that point, but we ended up around the campfire and then talking to like 2 a.m. in the morning. The next night, same thing, to like 2 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, Erica's friends are asking her, is there something going on here? I'm totally clueless, right? I'm just, like, getting to know her. And, and by the end, we realize, I think we really like each other, like, like, like each other, you know? And then I was going from that camp to another camp where I was a counselor. And there was this longing created because now I was longing for a specific person. I knew this person and I knew what it was to not be with this person. There was something stirred in me. And I think God has put a spiritual longing in each of us. This is why most of the world is following God in some way or another, some religion or another. And you might be here for the first time checking out Jesus, or you might have known Jesus your whole life. My hope for you in this season is that you discover more of who this Jesus is. This God incarnate, this God who showed up to show us God himself in the beautiful way that he lived his life. I hope that each of us get that longing for him, whether that has grown dusty and cold or whether that's brand new or completely vibrant. I hope that we would discover who this Jesus is because, friends, this is the best thing I have discovered in my life is Jesus, knowing him, walking with him, living a life centered on him. And I want all of us to get that opportunity as well. God is a promise-keeping God. He makes promises and he keeps them. I was, we in Life Group were talking about the story of Simeon and Anna, and Drew was leading our study, and it's not one of those stories that gets talked about a lot during Christmas all the time. But they had been given a promise, Simeon and Anna, about who... Jesus was coming, that they would live to see this. And so for years, most of their lifetime, they had been waiting, right? Israel had been waiting 700 years. That's hard to comprehend. But imagine getting a promise, maybe as a child, and now you're, you know, you've lived your whole life and you have not yet seen. I would think I would be saying, God is nowhere. Where is he? And yet they were faithful, showing up day in and day out. We hear the story in Luke. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servants in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. 
Simeon had remained faithful to God's promise, and God had remained faithful to fulfill his promise. We also hear the story of Anna, a prophet, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. God showed up at the right time. They had been waiting their whole life for God to show up in the flesh, but they were persistent beyond imagination, their whole life waiting, showing up to worship, that God might show up to them as he was promised. You might be waiting right now for something, maybe waiting for God, and I pray for your persistence and patience in that waiting, that you would hold on to these themes that we've been talking about an advent of hope, peace, joy, and love, that you would recognize you don't wait alone, that Christ is in fact with you in the waiting, and he is here. Paul gives us a reminder in Galatians about God's timing. He says this, but when the fullness of time had come, when the right time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. When the set time had finally come, God sent his son that we might receive adoption, that we might receive invitation into his family, that we might receive that relationship with him, that we might be community together from around the globe, gathering together as the body of Christ, worshiping Jesus. We might be able to take Christmas for granted in a way the original audience never could. Simeon and Anna showing up day after day, year after year, hoping and then finally receiving. We have an opportunity now of worshiping in person, right? We haven't been able to do that as often these last three years. I don't take it for granted that we can gather anymore. Pastor Brenda last week had this wonderful commercial in her sermon about a father wanting to be with his kids. And the kids had kind of taken him for granted and felt forgotten. And we see this lovely reunion. I hope that our hearts are stirred in this season, that we get to meet God, that we get to discover Jesus, this incarnate, afresh again, maybe for the first time maybe for a hundredth time, that God is here, church. God is with us, and he is with you. Let us pray. God, we thank you for sending your son, that your son did a beautifully wonderful, humble act to be born as a human. God, may we be mindful of all the ways you show up to us. May we not take for granted your presence May we not take for granted the life that you lived for the life that you give. You are here, Jesus, and we thank you. We invite you afresh. Be present with us, and may we be present with you. In your name, amen.